The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Father, we're thankful for the good time of fellowship around the table and the opportunity to enjoy one another's company and catch up on the things that are happening. And uh, we do count that a a real privilege, uh, even as we're reminded on Sunday, looking in your word, spending time around the table. Eating was actually a big part of the fellowship that those believers shared. So we're thankful for that tonight. We're thankful now for your word and ask as we uh, feast on it for a while and uh, come to understand a little bit better about uh, one of the areas of struggle that we as Christians have that you might give us uh, clarity of thought and we thank you for it. Amen. So um, tonight is, or today, pardon me, is uh, Robin's birthday. That's why they're not here because they're in Chelan and I gave her a hard time that, oh man, I was going to change it because I was going to do a whole evening just on that last point that we talked about last week at the end we weren't really obviously going to do that but uh um, but i i have to say as we're going through this i do do appreciate as people are thinking through stuff like this that we think about where sometimes some of these areas they might relate to where we are Uh, because it's easy for us i think for christians to kind of look at this list very quickly and read through it quickly and go oh okay yeah that's bad stuff but we don't ever stop to think, oh, I, I struggle with that, or that's a struggle, or that, that thing, not everything with regard to the works of the flesh are always in your face. Some of them are kind of subtle a little bit uh, in the way that they come in. So we went through the first three. We actually went through the first five, but the first three all had to do with perversions in the realm of sex. Idolatry and sorcery slash superstition uh, are involved in, the, in with regard to a, a person's relationship to God and how your flesh twists and perverts that. We replace God with idolatry. And then our whole idea of God is messed up with the, with, um, the idea of sorcery. And I, I tried to make this clear because as we were going on through the discussion last night, the, all the conversation, or last week, all the conversation that went on with that, the whole purpose of sorcery and superstition, the way that that's what religions do with that because that's the issue that Paul's concerned about here is that people are trying to affect outcomes people think that there's certain things that they can do that can change the outcome of something and they can do that by Indians Native Americans pardon me going off the men going off and and smoking some uh, uh, drug what's it called Peyote. Peyote. There. That was one of the things that was in there, but I didn't think I was going to say it right, so I tried to avoid it. You know? But then they do that, and they get high, but they see visions, and they think that this is the way their, their God communicates with them. See? And so these are the kinds of things, but Christians can do the same things. We yeah, can. Okay, so would this be an example when Christians say, if we get a whole bunch of people to pray, then we'll change God's mind. That's right. That is. Yeah. We, 
there's nowhere in the Bible that indicates if you get a lot of people praying that it's going to sway, that God's going to go, I was going to do this, but okay, I'll give in because we got 100, not just the 99. Right. Yeah, we, yeah. Having said that, because I've thought about this lately with different people with different needs and praying about them, what is a reason that we make a prayer request known and that we encourage other people to pray? Exactly. Exactly. We do. Yeah. And that, and some people may think, you know, and if somebody prays and asks for God to make somebody well, I'm not going to fault them and I'm not going to ding them on the head and say, what are you doing? But I agree. I've come to that conclusion a long time ago that God's going to do in a person's life what he's going to do in that person's life. And I'm not going to dissuade that. I, I would say the number one reason that we pray together for other people going through stuff is that there is an encouragement to people that are going through hard stuff knowing that other people are sharing that burden, if by nothing else than praying, by talking to God about them. That's a huge deal. And I, all, all of you have gone through different stuff, but I still remember back when, I, I, don't, I always keep going back to Peggy's thing, but when Peggy went through her stuff, it, to me it was overwhelming. When you run into people saying, oh, we're, we're praying for you on this, and we're praying for you on this, and we're praying for you on this. And you're, it's not like, oh, hey. I, I mean, I never ever thought, oh, man, one more person. How many do I have to get before God fixes this? No. It was always that. That's really encouraging that they're concerned enough that they would pray for this. Con remember Peggy as she's going through this thing. So I would say that that, but that's a, to me is a really good example. I've thought about that a lot because of some people that I know that, that have communicated that very thing in the last month that, boy, if we could get a lot of people praying, we can get this turned around and I don't say anything. Uh, if they were talking directly to me and asked me a question, I might respond, but I'm not, it's, you know, when someone's going through something hard and you tell them that's not what's going to happen, it's like kicking them in the shins. I, I just, I... I just don't know if that's the right time to try to help them understand that. But that's a good example. I appreciate that. Yes, Ben. It also depends a little bit about how even a Christian interprets Scripture. You know, whether, like, for instance, Lindsay, I ended up falling asleep last night. I didn't read this to you, but I read it. So with Lindsay's mom, I shared that with Andrew Tote, our buddy in Africa, and he, you know, super sweet. He said, so my mom and I are going to be praying for his mom right now. She's, uh, she broke her foot, so she's been in a cast. said, uh, she finally got crutches this week. It's been a number of weeks, but she got crutches so she could move around a little better. And, and uh, anyways, he's like, my mom, and I want you to know my mom prayed for Lindsay's mom the other night, and we prayed together, and I said, man, I appreciate that, you know. But he <clears throat> he quoted to me, or he, he I didn't hear what he said. I asked him three times. I said, can you say that again? He said, Psalm 91. 
And uh, can I read just a minute? Yes, please. And this is this is God's word. I don't know if I would take this today. Like, so I'm saying, like for him, he he's probably not as dispensational to use that word as we are. Mm -hmm. um, and he's trying to find a word of encouragement. And he 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 recommended this with a like a clean heart in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I I didn't even say anything bad. I just read it last night. But those who live in the shelter, so this is in relation to Shelley and her undergoing this pretty serious cancer diagnosis. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High, and this is from the New Living Translation, it's probably a little looser too, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. Again, this is Psalm 91. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. And again, those are things that we can say he is, and I do trust him. For he will rescue from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And then you'd have to say, well, what, what promises are those? Let me read that. Verse 5, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes in midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how wicked, how wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras, and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Last few verses say, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. So anyhow, he just was trying to encourage me with that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot in there I can take out. He is our refuge. and uh, But I also know that the reward is not a long life in this life. Maybe it, you may allow it, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? I do. So, I guess some of this stuff, we're like, yeah, some of it's just what you know, you know, and it's the word of God, and he's breathing, he's going, man, our God can do that. If he chose to do it, he could do it. Right. But it's not a promise, like it's seeming in that verse. Do you trust him? It was a promise to David, because was. they were promised protection and long life and health and all of that if they kept the if they obeyed the law, yeah. Yeah. So it was a promise to them. Do you think? Is, okay, when Gary was burnt, there was another gentleman in our community. I don't know how many of you remember him, but he was married. He was the husband of Gloria McCullough, and um, he was a believer, and he was very, very sick. And Gary and him were in the hospital at the same time. And everybody was praying for both of them, you know? But God chose that he went to be with the Lord, and he chose that Gary would stay here for a while. Okay, so what does that do to someone if they know that we've all been praying and we're going to sway God, and then someone dies? Was their prayer for him not as good as... 
the prayer for Gary. I mean, it goes both ways. It can be an encouragement. It can be a discouragement if you view that you are going to change God's mind. And ultimately, God will rescue us from every evil thing that's on this. But it might mean that you're going to die. And um, so while I understand what you're saying about Andrew Ototo and everybody, everybody likes to know that people care about them. But there is a certain amount of detriment that can come from people saying things about prayer that isn't going to come to actuality. Yeah. No, I, I fully preach, sister. I, and I think if I was to talk to Andrew, I, I, I know that he recognizes that God takes, he's seen a lot of believers go home with him, so he's yeah. not on the camp of like, wait a minute, we prayed enough, you know. Um, I think he was just trying to encourage me. Yeah, I would, no. be, I would be the same place as you if I was talking to him. And then you just mark that as something as, well, that's something maybe we have, in the right time, we can talk about it, you know. But that's not the time to because then they'll never offer anything. They'll never be vulnerable. They'll never say anything to you. Yeah. If you, you know, try to act like you're crossing everybody's T's and dotting all their I's for them, you know. So I'm going to take what Leslie was saying, and I, want, I do want to just add something with exact example right out of that. I have, um, I'll just be blunt. We all have a friend <laughs> comes to church here that came and told me, and I think I asked him permission to share this at one time. But he came and told me, he says, I don't pray anymore. I quit praying. Because he had somebody, very important to him, that he prayed that God would heal that person. And he, they didn't get healed, and they died. And he thought, I can't pray. I must be doing something wrong. It's Because that's the only thing he could figure out, is I'm the one that's messed up. So I'm not going to pray anymore because apparently God won't listen to me. Then we were going over in church about God's sovereignty with regard to our health and the, and the length of our days where David and Job both say, God's already, before you were ever born, God wrote in his book, this is exactly the day you're going to be born and this is exactly the day you're going to go home. That's already settled in God's book. And then the other matters, like we we're looking at, those are other things that also are part of God's plan. And we went through that and this person came to me and said, "Do I misunder have I misunderstood how prayer works in this? And walked through basically where I just talked and I said, yeah, yeah, I agree. And it was just like relief that it, it wasn't my fault, that this person didn't die because I failed them. Because that's I think that was kind of some of the burden this poor person bore for years afterwards was that God could have healed this person. I just didn't pray right. I didn't pray enough or sincerely or whatever. And and it really, seriously, I mean, it really devastated this individual for quite some time. I didn't know, I didn't even know this was going on. That whole stopping to pray, quitting. And uh, it was relief. So I, So there is a point. But see, the thing is, I have a relationship with this person that this person feels free to come and ask me questions like this once in a while and talk about things that this, that they're thinking about. And uh, and you guys probably all know who I'm talking about or you probably have a pretty good guess, but it's just, it's just, it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, there's a right time to help with things like that and there's a time to just, 
thank you and just let it be. Yeah. Which, which exercises, I mean, you're exercising some maturity and discernment. So. Can I ask you one other question? Uh, this will be a nickel. Okay. That's good. I got a quarter in my pocket. Oh, man. <laughs> Actually, I, I, got some, I got some Halloween candy. I'm honest, maybe a rapper or two. Okay. Um, this is so associated, again, off topic, but the, he the health, wealth, blessings, lambs, long life. I know we say that a lot, and we've, it's been mentioned, Leslie just mentioned it. I just wonder, like when David went to battle, I don't know what his army all consisted of as far as faithful to God through, you know, temple worship or whatever. You know, I'm not really sure. What, I, don't, I don't presume to think everybody in his armies were saved under the Old Testament method or whatnot. But, you know, you read the numbers, a lot of times God crushed it, but it wasn't like, nobody died, you know? So I just, I just I'm wondering out loud, like that rule, was that a 100% rule or was it just in general? You'll have long life, prosperity. The nation will do well. Because I gotta imagine that they watched some people that were faithful during their lives. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they all lived long and had lots of cattle. But it seems like I read the Old Testament, I see up, and then I see devastation. And maybe you could say, well, that's when they're walking away from God. And that's a lot of times that was the case. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, it's just a, a question. Yeah. No, I, I, I. I'm going to say that I think it really was probably very specific. When you had, I, I think that the people that were honoring God and doing what they were doing, a righteous man, and it actually, although David does write, he says, I see something that is a grave ill. I see a man that's not righteous and he seems to succeed and he doesn't pay for it. And I see a righteous man that doesn't seem to, you know. But a lot of times that was when the nation was kind of moving aside. So it's not like always just one man. In fact, the Bible even says that. It says even if you had one righteous person among thousands, it wouldn't turn the course of the nation. It was when the nation by and large would turn that that's when, when they were doing it. So I, when you look at under David's reign, a good chunk of David's reign, David's really very, he's concerned as the king, not just that they're winning battles, but that they're, the people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing up there at the, at the tabernacle at that time, and that they're not practicing idolatry and things like that. So, yeah. And if you went back before Saul and you went back to the time of the judges, you could see, you see exactly what you're saying, that up and down. And then from the time of Solomon on, you see that up and down as you got good kings and bad kings. And the, the, a lot of times if you had really good kings, you know, what was one of the first things that good kings did when they... Took the, took the throne. They went in. Everything that was yeah. opposition. Yeah. They went out there and they tore down all these altars and such. Now you got a couple that said they said they did that, but the high places were not removed. It's like they leave this one little problem out there that ends up being kind of a, a stone in the in the foot of, of the people of Israel. So yeah, I God was very clear on that. And then anyway, so yeah. Let's try to make a short answer. <laughs> Thank you. You want my nickel or? <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait until you've had five more or four more questions and we'll make it an even quarter. Uh, enmity then. So on our list here. Um, so then we come to enmity down here. 
Uh, and remember, we're just trying to give you some general definitions. Enmity is overt hostility. And then I put this in parentheses, not sanctioned by God. Now, I, I'm, gonna, I'm saying that cautiously because if you, for us as believers, I don't think there's ever a point that there's hostility that you and I exhibit that is sanctioned by God, okay? Um, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, let all anger and bitterness and wrath and all the shouting and yelling, let it all be put away from you. So as an example, I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but I think I got it right. West Borough Baptist Church. Is that the right name? They're the people that go off and they and they they picket at they Oh, I was Excuse me. That's embarrassing my daughter says. I thought I thought it was Josh's phone over there doing that, so. Like, it um, sounds like mine, but I don't know where it is. I think it was mine. <laughs> I got there. But you guys all familiar? I think it's Westboro Baptist Church. They're the one that go and picket at the yes. at the funerals for servicemen because of their opposition to the gay and lesbian agenda and all of that stuff and the way the government favors them. And number one, it's a political thing. It's a thing of this world that the church is supposed to keep your hands out of. First Corinthians chapter five: What have I to do with judging those outside? Paul says that's. God's business. We'll judge him in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the present time, we don't do that. And so there, and, and sadly, this is what a lot of, of segments of fundamentalism and evangelical church has come to be known for, especially in places like the United States here, is that we are constantly yelling at the world. I don't want that, I don't want that cup to get hot and somebody I don't know but there's a cup up there and I just didn't want it to oh it's full of coffee okay I didn't want somebody to grab that cup and that happened to me once and I about burned my hand because it had been on and I wasn't paying attention um, so uh, as, as regard as uh, enmity or hostility here if, you're, if you were in the book of Luke you have Herod and Pilate they come to an agreement over what they, they're doing with Jesus when they have him crucified. But it said now they were friends. But previously, there had been a hostility and enmity between uh, these two men. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Um, I kind of thought maybe I'd give a few examples of some of these. We weren't given many examples last week. Uh, I think the first ones are fairly straightforward. But Romans chapter 8... We've got two, two other examples in here that are helpful. Romans 8, and it says in verse 6, Romans 8, 6, For the frame of mind or the reflective mind of the flesh is death, but the reflective mind from the Spirit is life and peace, because the reflective mind or the frame of mind from the flesh is hostility against God. For it is not subject to God's law. And that law in that context is not the law of Moses. It's talking about the principle by which God operates that you have at the end of chapter 7 and you have a note on it at the first part of chapter 8. But that's, he says, it's not subject to that. It refuses to be. So that's the mind of the flesh. Which, by the way, if, if you put that together when we're looking at the works of the flesh, the problem with these works of the flesh is when you are trying to please God by your own efforts, 
if I stand in front of you and say, do these five things, this, I, these are my five takeaway points today, go do these things and God will be happy with you. Nobody says it exactly like that, but that's the gist of what you get in a lot of situations. And a lot of times, what they're if you listen to some of these pastors, they're actually just giving you human advice. They're not really taking you to the word of God and saying, God says, think like this and see what God does. They've actually got practical things. Go out and play tennis with an unsaved person this week. I've heard people say that. You know, if you want to you want to be better, go out and play tennis. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But the, the word of God never tells you go out and engage an unsaved person with some sport or other activity to reach them. It doesn't tell you that. But that's a thing that a lot of people think you should do. So let's say they do that. Now what you're doing is you are very easily, very easily just moving and operating by the flesh. And it's not like you're going out there and you're carnal and you're on the tennis court and you're spewing all kinds of vulgarities or anything like that. It might, it might be a friendly game, but you're doing it by your flesh. And when you do that, he says right here, that frame of mind from the flesh is hostile towards God. Why is it hostile? Because it's not the way God's doing it. You're trying to come up with a way to reach people. And you don't have to do that. I keep telling you that. You know how you reach people? You just pay attention to the person that God puts in front of you. That's all you have to do. You don't have to beat the bushes. You don't have to go out on the street corners and yell and bring people into church or anything like that. It's just the person that God puts in your path when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're out doing whatever you're doing. And God will have people that will, uh, I mean, sir, I, I, I don't mean to belabor this fact, but I mean, I've told you the stories about riding on planes. I don't get on a plane going, I'm going to share the gospel with somebody today. But I've probably had at least five times over the years that I've had people say, hey, what are you doing? Can I ask you a question? And then you end up talking to them for an hour, an hour and a half on the plane. Because they've got questions about stuff. And sometimes it's a believer that needs some help and encouragement. Sometimes it's an unsaved person that needs to hear the gospel. And they're asking you about these questions. So I didn't get on the plane. I didn't go and try to find someone to reach. God puts them in your path. I've, also, I've had more times probably that I've sat down maybe thinking, maybe I'll share the gospel with somebody and there's nobody out there. The, the person in the thing, pull their hood over there, get in their corner, put their, their headphones on and the whole five hours on the plane, they just, you're like, are you still alive? You know, <laughs> you can't even tell over there in the corner. So um, it's, it, that's what you do. You just, you have those opportunities. I got to, I got to share the gospel just a couple weeks ago when I went out to watch um, uh, Kenya and Aram run out here at the golf course. And there were some people that I know, you you know these people too, but they were out there. And they started talking to me out there. And so they started asking some questions about, you know, how I ended up in Royal City and things like that. And I got to share a little bit with them, but I got to share with them the gospel. I'm sure they've heard the gospel before. I'm pretty sure these people have. They might even be believers for all I know. They never indicated that, but they may be, see. But I wasn't looking for it. They just, we just were there and I kind of was chatting with them a little bit and then they started asking. See, so it's God puts people, things in your path. Anyway, all that to say is enmity is something that comes out of our flesh. I want to look at one other example on this enmity here to give an illustration and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And it's used. Two times here in Ephesians 2, just a, 
a sentence apart. In fact, I actually think this is all, these are both in the, in the same sentence. It's a fairly long sentence. This, Paul would have gotten a D in uh, college English, <laughs> the way he writes. But anyway, college Greek, I guess it would be. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, Christ, is our peace. The one having made the two, now who are the two? Jews and Gentiles, made them one, and having broken down the middle wall of partition, the hostility. Now, what is that middle wall that, they call it the middle wall of partition. In the Greek, it's the word phragmos. What do you think, what word do we get from the word phragmos? Fragment. It fragments, in other words, he says, this is a wall that fragmented humanity. What is that wall? The law. He's going to tell you. It's the law in commandments in the form of ordinances or dogmatic statements. And he annulled that, having created the two into one new man and making peace. So he says that that law created hostility. It didn't make the Jews care about the Gentiles, and it certainly didn't make the Gentiles like the Jews. It divided them, and it created hostility. And it was still, at the time Paul's writing Ephesians, it's still a point of hostility. But now, between believers <laughs> that come from a Jewish background and believers that come from a Gentile background, because he says in verse 16 that he might reconcile the two in, in uh, one body, um, to God through the cross, having killed the hostility by it. Why does he have to mention the hostility twice in there? Why does he bring that up? Because it's a problem that exists in the Ephesian church between believers from these different backgrounds. He's telling Christ settled this. But why does he have to tell you Christ settled it? He's telling because it's, it's a current problem. If you read through the letter, you can find out that there's some hard feelings here. Okay, So this tension about what makes us different, in this case, Jews different from Gentiles, became a point of tension, a point of hostility between these groups of people. Uh, historically, to, well, we're seeing it right now with, with Israel and Hamas over there and the hatred that all these other Arab nations have uh, for the nation of Israel over there. Still, still a thing where the, there's, and there's Gentiles here in the United States that basically think Hamas is doing the right thing, <laughs> in, case, in case you don't read the news. Uh, so, enmity. The next one we come to is, any questions on enmity? Okay, the next one is strife. Now, strife is an argumentative or unsubmissive attitude. An argumentative or unsubmissive attitude. Let's take a look a couple of examples. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When we get there, let's go to verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. What? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, what they, What the thing is? Yeah. It's an argumentative or unsubmissive attitude. And we're going to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 through 12. Well, we're going to go back to verse 10, yeah, to start with. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. But now I encourage you, brothers, through the name of our... What? Oh. 
I was there three minutes ago. <laughs> okay, verse 10. Now I encourage you, brothers, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you should all speak or say the same thing, and that there should not be, and we'll come back to this word later, but keep this in your mind, we'll refer to it, this word divisions, but that you should all be united or adjusted together in the same mind and in the same opinion or thinking. For some from the household of Chloe have made it plain to us, brothers, about you that there is strife among you. Now, what does he mean by this strife? Well, some are saying, I'm from Paul. No, I'm of Apollos. No, I'm from Cephas. I'm of Christ. Now, if you go down and you kept reading here, the reason, why, why did they rally around these guys? Does anybody remember what he gets into in the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Philosophy and wisdom of the world. Yeah. The scribe, that's like the scholar. And I bet each one of these guys exhibited a minor trait that is, that is reflected in what those people are doing. They're not pursuing philosophy. They're not pursuing scholarship. But have you ever heard, heard a good Bible teacher that gets up and they share some facts with you about something? And it's very helpful in understanding the Word of God. And you're going, I want to be like that guy. I want to be that guy that's researched his message through and he's got all this good, interesting detail. And then sometimes you have somebody that gets up and they teach and they've thought about this and they're kind of taking and they're, they're taking you off and explaining something. And to some people, that sounds a bit, little bit like philosophy and they're like, I want to be that guy. Like that. I had, I went to seminary and I had three professors and I can guarantee you none of them taught the same, did they? They all had different teaching styles, if that's what you want to call it. But you know what? What you learned is, I can learn from all these guys. And I, you don't go to seminary then and say, I want to have that style, I want to have that style, or I want to have that style. Do you need your... No, 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 no. Pause. No, I will get it, Peggy. No, Peggy, just... What? What? I just want to make sure she gets it. Yeah. You guys talk about that word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Josh, you're good. No, it's good. We, we can have quiet Maybe the cold air, does it good to breathe in cold air? She had she had a problem last night. Did she? Yeah. Did she think it was for land? Carlos go, yay, your house is taking over, or something like that. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> 
Yeah, we got her. Took us a while to find her inhaler. It kind of got buried in her purse. So she had a really bad attack last night too. Did she have that when you guys were still there? No. It's just afterwards. Yeah. She. Oh, she. Was. So she doesn't. She doesn't usually get them this time of year that much. So it's kind of weird. She's had two in a row here. Two. Days in a row. Okay. Huh. Hmm. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out what we were looking at my notes. Yeah, so we were talking about these guys. Did you guys talk about it at all after I left? No. Okay. Just talking about the weather, huh? Okay. Were you talking about the weather? Yeah. You really were? Oh, okay. That was just kind of a. It's raining out there right now. Okay, so anyway, we were just talking about the strife here is this, I think it's people are in this people here are arguing about the best way to accomplish, get done what God wants. And Paul basically is going to tell them, none of these techniques are the thing you do to get, what God, to get done what God wants, is actually what he's going to conclude on this. And don't follow after men. So there's this argument about loyalty to these different men based around what they, who, who they think is a better individual. Okay, and that's a, and, and that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing for a church. And uh, and the thing is, is a lot of the early churches had more than one elder. They had multiple elders that were serving in churches. And there was a, a always probably a tendency to be lo more loyal to some than others. To you know, and we attended a church in Iowa City before we moved out here. And there was a man in the church that was a really good Bible teacher. Peg and I really liked him. 
And he showed up for every one of the meetings. But they had two other elders that also taught there. And you know what? Those guys never showed up unless it was their turn to teach. Because they didn't like to listen to the other guys teach. And I kept thinking, you guys are missing out. You guys are missing out. The body is not about just you showing up when it's your turn to do something. It's about everybody participating you know, when, you have, when you have the opportunity. Not out of legalism, mind you, but uh, so. Um, and then um, one other issue of, one other example of strife, turn to Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three. And we're just going to keep it simple. We'll just go to verse 9. But foolish debates and genealogies and fights or quarrels, that's the word. And then that word for actual makas, for like a war or fight, he says, about the law, avoid these things. So what he's indicating is there are quarrels or arguments, and then there are fights over the law. Because there are people, and, and Paul actually is going to tell him when those people come and they want to argue with you about this because they want to teach the law he says you give them two warnings and then you just avoid it you you don't he doesn't say you kick them out of the church he says you just avoid that person they've already made up their mind that they're going to live by the law don't argue with them anymore don't give them an audience on it you just stick to teaching what needs to be taught you can burn a lot of time Trying to converse, trying to convince somebody that already has convinced themselves what they're supposed to do, and they don't want to listen to anything else. Any questions? Jealousy or properly zeal. Now, the reason I say that is, is if you just move down that list a little bit, you have another uh, work down below called envy. And usually people, when they talk about this word that's, that is the word zealos, usually they're thinking about envy. But we're looking at this word zeal that, that uh, the Apostle Paul uses here. And I want you to look right here in Titus, if you're still here in Titus, and look back up at chapter 2. Look back up here in chapter 2 and notice in verse 14, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ from verse 13, who gave himself in place of us that he might redeem or ransom us from all lawlessness and cleanse for himself a people of a special possession, zealous, zealous of good works. That's the same word that's a work of the flesh. So what's the difference between this kind of zeal and the zeal that we have as a work of the flesh. I think we have an example of that also if we look in Romans chapter 10. Look in Romans chapter 10. And we're going to go to verse 1 when you get there. Romans 10 and verse 1. Romans 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers, the good pleasure of my heart and my supplication to God is on behalf of their salvation. Paul said, 
thinking about the people of Israel getting saved, it makes my heart feel really good. And it's the thing I supplicate for because I don't know who's got, gets going to save, but I still, he still supplicated for that. Verse two, for I would witness to them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. In other words, they're zealous about stuff for God, but it's not based on any real knowledge of God. If they really knew God, they would know those aren't the things that God wants them to be zealous about. But they're, they're involved in that zeal. They're going to pursue those things. They're going to win. And we didn't give you a definition on jealousy, did we? <laughs> it is a drive to succeed or slash win. But when it's a work from the flesh, it's without knowledge and it's without regard to how it affects others. A drive to succeed without regard to... No. <laughs> no. It's a drive to succeed or slash win without regard to knowledge or how it affects others. You just want to win. And I, you guys have all heard me use the illustration, and I don't even remember how many years ago this is now, 20, 25 years ago. There was that... Uh, in, the, in the Olympics, there was that woman's... Um, and I don't know what it was, like an 800-meter race. You guys all remember that? And there was that really good runner, but there was that one gal that was just pulling around. And unlike a cross-country course where you're all kind of spread out, you know, everybody's, they're kind of reined in by that track. And that one runner, I mean, they, you could see it on the replay video. She just put her foot intentionally over to that other and tripped the other gal up. Just, and I don't know if the other gal fell down or not, but it was enough to slow her up and give the other gal an advantage. Tonya Harding is a good, bad example. A <laughs> good, bad example, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there, there are lots of people in the world that are so set on winning that they're callous to how their actions affect other people. And I think when Paul says over there in Romans 10 about these people having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, I think to some degree, you can even say that that's somewhat true because Jesus himself is the one that said, you guys, you guys make sure a person pays their tithe of the mint and the anise and the cumin, your spices that don't make up a very large portion of the crop you raise, but you neglect mercy and justice. And he says, you ought to do these and not neglect those. It's not like you have to choose one or the other. You ought to be doing both of those under the law. But they were more concerned about those things. And, he, and Jesus even says, you guys, all for the sake of making everything right, you will eat up widows' houses. Which I honestly think it's like coming to the widow and going, hey, we're taking care of you, but the lawyer bill is going to be this. And the poor widow is like, oh, you're supposed to be looking out for me. And I keep writing checks to the lawyer and it's, I'm going broke, paying for you to help me. <laughs> See, and that's the kind of thing they were doing because they were so focused on themselves and so focused on coming out righteous. Another example in the book of Luke, remember, is the, the Pharisee that comes out and then the, the uh, tax collector and the tax collector comes out, strikes his chest and he says, God, be content, be satisfied with me, the sinner. And what does the Pharisee come out and say? Lord, I thank you that I am not like this sinner for I do. And he goes through the things that he does. 
that's an example of zeal. I'm real care. I'm really on doing all that. Like God really cared about the fact that he did all those things but didn't care about anybody else. See? So those are some examples, a couple of examples out of the law with regard to, to zeal. Zeal is, there's nothing wrong. We already saw in, in Titus, there's nothing wrong with you being a person zealous for the things that God wants, but it's always going to be restrained to the point that you're not going to run over the backs of other people in trying to do it. You're going to stop and pause and help the people up that fell along the course, and you're going to be helping and tending to people because that's what God sent you to do. Not making it to the finish line. <laughs> At any cost, see. Remember, the Christian life's a marathon. It's not a. It's not a hundred meter sprint. Or even when I was a kid in track, do they still do this in track? We had fifty. We had fifty yard dash. Fifty yard dash. You had those too. You remember that now? Did they don't do those anymore? Yeah, that was a. Yeah. So I did. I I, I don't. Yeah. When we first started coaching, they had a fifty meter, but then they got rid of it. Yeah. I, I could never do that. I don't. <laughs> my second wind doesn't kick in. Until <laughs> yeah, we did it as part of the presidential fitness program that we did every year when we were at school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll do one more of these today tonight. Um, we're at about fifty minutes, and I think we'll look at one more of these. But we have this word that's translated fits of anger, uh, and it's. The tough thing about this is we have, if you were to go back over there to Galatians and look, it's, you don't have to. It's just, it's anger over there. But we have two words for anger. Um, I'm going to put them up here on the board for you just so you can have to erase some of our stuff up here so you can see what we got. We have, we have this word here, which is the word thumas. Thumas. And then we have another word. Or gay. And the problem, the, the tricky thing with these two words is when you go to the book of, of Revelation, you have these two words, not they're not used interchangeably. They're word used together again and again. And sometimes it's the orge from the thumos, and sometimes it's the thumos from the orge, the way it's written in Greek. It's like sometimes this seems to give rise to this, and sometimes this gives rise to this. And they're used of God, not just people. They're used that God is exercising these because God can do that. You and I, as we've already said, you and I do not have the ability in our present existence to have anger without it becoming fleshly. And so, um, an example, uh, so anyway, fits of anger. It is the inner burning, that's really what thumos is. Thumos, we get. Um, we get burning fire heat comes from this word. So this is this, this inner burning here. It is the inner burning that often results from other cravings not being met. Now that's not always the case, but oftentimes it's like you want these other things. And because those aren't met. Let me give you, let me give you an extreme example of this. Okay, I really don't want to offend anybody. On this, but this is, but this to me is a really good way. I think you can see this. Somebody wants, they want something that you have, and they can't get it, so they end up coming over to your house and busting the door down to break inside to take it, and they take it by force, and they're taking it out of anger, 
because they think that you're in, that they're entitled to this thing that you own and they ought to have this. And I've heard people that act like this. And I could give you a bunch of other similar types of examples, not just about people stealing, but about violent acts that are perpetrated by one person against another because there's something this other person has or does or is one or whatever it is, and they're jealous of it. Think about down below, envy or zeal. I wanted to win that. How did Bob win that? I keep picking on this poor Bob lately. Well, Ralph, Ralph won that. How come Ralph got that? I worked way harder than Ralph every day. Well, he doesn't know that. Maybe, maybe Ralph was working really hard and he just didn't see it. But then he ends up perpetrating. It, we, we know from the events that have happened over just the last uh, week or two, we have problems with violence in our country. And I know they talk about gun violence. I, I was going to look up the statistic for this on gun violence, but it, it wasn't that many years ago. Do you know who the number one person that you were most likely to be killed with a gun by was? Somebody that is a close personal friend or family member. That was true for a long, for years. And you know why? And it's almost, and you know what, what do they call those? Crimes of passion. Crimes of passion. Passion meaning there's, somebody gets hot, somebody gets angry, you know, you got a family situation and they blow up and, and uh, I had, uh, I had a really good friend in the Portland area that uh, his, his wife worked with this other lady and he, she comes, his wife comes home and he says, her husband got killed this weekend. <laughs> and she, so he's telling us this story uh, at, at class and we're like, what? He goes, yeah. They were their best friend. Their best friends. They were all out back on a Saturday night. They had supper. They were out having a few drinks and hot tubbing out in the backyard. And the men got into an argument in the hot tub over something. And they and they both got up. One got up out of the hot tub and went in the house. And the other one went into it with them. And next thing they know, they hear pop of a gun. And the one guy shot the other guy in the kitchen. Went back to his bedroom, got the gun, and shot his friend. His friend. Best friends because they got into a, an argument and they weren't thinking clearly. That to me is, an, is a situation where there's this hostility now that has risen. And so when we have these fits of anger, they don't always make sense. And the problem, this is the whole issue. If you as a believer resort to the flesh, this is what Paul's trying to, Paul's not listing this so that you got a list of the works of the flesh. He's doing this to help you realize when you choose to try to do God's work by the flesh, guess what? You could, this could be you. You could go from this person that's getting something done for God and all of a sudden now, now you're angry and next thing you know, you end up saying something, hurting somebody, acting violently maybe, that this isn't always violent that's going to happen, but there's a lot of things that could happen. Dwight and I were just talking the other day about how many families haven't talked for years because of an issue of anger and you've got two siblings or a, a child and a parent that have talked in 20 years or something like this because somebody's feelings got hurt and they're angry at each other and they're holding out. And, there's, and when you hear about what the problem is, you go, that's not even rational. But that's the whole thing. None of these things are rational. Heat in the moment, it's not rational. Okay, not rational. Ephesians chapter four, well look, this is a, uh, our verse on this one. Did everybody get the definition there? Yeah, an inner burning that often results, not always, not exclusive, but often results from other cravings not being met. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Notice what Paul says. Let all bitterness and all... We have both words for anger here. All bitterness and all anger and all anger. Or our Bibles try to distinguish him calling anger and wrath. Tricky thing is sometimes they translate one word wrath and the other anger. And then in another place they may have it flipped. Okay. Uh, uh, but they're both just terms for anger. And sometimes it's hard to determine which is the worse anger. But... Uh, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor. Everybody knows what clamor is? This is what happens when you get angry. And now you start opening your mouth and you're like, ah, 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 and you're yelling and you're saying things that a lot of times aren't necessarily rational, right? When you get angry, you might start with a rational statement, but it quickly becomes irrational, doesn't it? If you've ever heard people do that and slander or blasphemy, let all of it be removed away from you with all things that lack in character. What he's saying is none of those things, none of those things are proper. None of those things are the way it should be. So is there a question or comment? No. <laughs> really? Okay, I'm gonna say, because it might be helpful for all of us to think through that. That is. So yep. That's, that's it's, it's right over the top. It's anger. Why do you have rapture? What does that even mean? Okay. Yeah, no, that's referring to the day of the rapture. It is. And the girls are messing around in class. <laughs> hey, I'm always good if the kids mess around in class if it's something about the class subject. If they're, if they're just goofing around, <laughs> if they're passing notes, then they have to bring the note up front, right? <laughs> Okay, we'll stop with that.